Our scripture this morning will come from the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me. And while you're turning, I, I am just so glad that you are here. Whenever I, it starts raining outside, I always get nervous, like who's going to show up for church? And, you know, will anybody come to church today now that it's raining? And uh, I was sharing with our uh, church council chair, Sissy Thompson, who was sitting right over here at the 930 service when it was pouring down rain. I said, this would be a great time to launch the capital campaign for new facilities and share, and there'll be covered drop-offs. I said, I bet we can raise it all just right now with people going, hey, we'll do that. I even talked to the ushers about the possibility of valet parking when it's raining. They all quit. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, if God scratches his head or what happens when we're going, God, it's, it's really dry outside. It's, it's really dry. My yard is dying. And, and God, we really need rain. God, I'm having to irrigate my yard and that's so expensive. Lord... We really need rain. And then it starts raining and we go, Lord, I was planning to go to worship today, but it's raining. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. The story of the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Hear these words from Luke. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's Pentecost. One of the high holy days in the Christian faith. Pentecost. That day of the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. We turn the colors to red, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, the, the fire, the flame that's represented of, of the Holy Spirit, the descending dove when, when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove. It's Pentecost. It's, it's one of the four key events of the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, there are four key events of the Christian faith that, that we encourage every Christian to be able to know and, and to be able to talk about. 
When we teach our confirmation classes, we go through these four key events so that, that everybody seems to understand and be able to, to know if I'm a Christian, I understand the first one, which is Christmas. What does it mean that God would come and take on human form and live among us? Christmas, the Christ Mass. The second one is Good Friday. The second key event is Jesus dying on the cross. And, and what does it mean that God would so love the world that, that he would truly give his only begotten son and allow him to die for us? The third key event is Easter. What does it mean that, that God had the power to raise Jesus then from the dead and conquer both sin and death? And the fourth one, Pentecost. Pentecost, the, the gift of the birth of the church. Some call this the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, church. The outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. You might remember back in, in Genesis chapter 2 when, when God had created the Adam. Adam means human being. And, and when God had created Adam and, and shaped him out of the ground, Adam was still dead until God did what? He breathed. He knelt down and breathed. And when the Spirit of God entered Adam, he became alive, created now in the image of God. And the church, the church was a group of people joining together in a locked room until God breathed. And when God breathed, everything changed. Imagine what it would have been like to have been one of the disciples. Their lives had really gone through a lot over the last three years. I mean, they, they saw this man who, who shows up and says, follow me, and they drop everything, and, and they follow Jesus for three years, and, and they just have to believe he is the Messiah and the Christ. As a matter of fact, Peter even said so. And, and, and then they watch him die. That wasn't supposed to happen. And, and they watch him die on a cross, and they think it's all over, and and then the next thing you know, we get the word that on the third day that he had risen from the dead, he had been raised from the dead, and, and, and how could that possibly be? And, and for the next 40 days, Jesus lives among them and, and is talking to them again and teaching them about the kingdom about a week ago. It's only been about a week ago that Jesus ascended into heaven. And over the last week, just imagine what it was like, what the disciples were doing going Okay, now what do we do? Well, they said we're the church. Okay, now what do we do? And I got a feeling some of them go, well, Peter, he put you in charge. They did elect another disciple to take Judah's place, but thank God he breathed. Thank God he breathed. Because all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, isn't it interesting how God, through Jesus, did some things on the same high holy days or important high holy days of the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus was crucified at Passover. And Pentecost is an Old Testament holy day 50 days after Passover. And it's on Pentecost that God does another new and holy thing and breathes. And the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples. The church is born and new power is given. I, 
I grew up in the church. I don't know about you, but as I've shared with you before, I grew up in a small little country church, and every Sunday morning we went to church. Church was a, a very real part of our lives. We loved going to church. I mean, we always did. And even when we were not in our home church, we used to have one of those little pop-up campers. Some of you may know what a pop-up camper is. It's a glorified tent with wheels. You pull it behind your, you know, you pull it behind your car, and and then you crank it up. The top comes out, and you pull the sides out, and, and you know, and, and and so we had a pop-up camper, and we would go camping for our vacations because that was about all my parents could really afford for us to do on a vacation. And, and in the campgrounds, they did worship services, so we would always go to church even when we were camping. And if we ever did vacation somewhere that, that you know, didn't have a, a service going on in a campground or something, we would get in a car and you just go somewhere until you saw a church and pull in. Now that can be interesting. Just randomly pull into a church, knowing nothing about it. I mean, some of them would bore you to tears, and others of them would scare you to death. You just never knew what you were going to experience. But we always went to church, but what we did really talk a lot about was why. What's the purpose of the church, and why, why is this so important to God? But church is really important to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the one who names the idea of church. But, but the church is not perfect. That's one of the things I think that challenges so many of us when we think of church is it's anything but a perfect institution. And, and one of the reasons the church is not perfect is because I'm in it. And the other reason is because you're in it. I mean, the church is a divine institution, but it's made up of imperfect people, so you just might as well expect you're going to have a mess periodically. Billy Graham even said, if you find the perfect church, tell me where it is so I make sure I don't go there and mess it up. <laughs> and if Billy Graham can mess up a church and I'm yours, <laughs> y'all are in trouble. <laughs> it's not a perfect institution at all. As a matter of fact, we, we've been going through some interviews of you know, some staff folks. As you know, we're celebrating Emily's retirement. We've been talking with, with some folks about you know, that role and and one of the things that I share with people when you talk about coming on church staff is one of the dangers of coming on church staff is you will get to see the backside of the church. Church has a backside. Why? Because it's made up of imperfect people. And as a result, sometimes you're going to see a mess. It's just going to happen. One of my favorite illustrations of the church is that the church is a lot like Noah's Ark. If it were not for such a horrible storm on the outside, you couldn't bear the stink on the inside. And yet God uses it somehow as a vessel for salvation and grace. We hear the church when Jesus is talking to the disciples in Matthew 16, around verse 13, and he's asking them when you're out among the crowds who they say I am, and, and they give some answers, and then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And what I love is it's, it's Peter who said, I know who you are. I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. No human being told you this. Only God could have revealed that to you. So I'm changing your name from Simon to Petros. Peter. It means little rock. Petros, little rock. And upon this Petra, this big rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not, be, will not prevail against it. Now, now one of the things that's important when you read that scripture is understand there's two different Greek words, Petros and Petra, because people go, so the church was built on Peter? No, the church was built on Peter's faith. It was built on the Petra, that you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, I can build my church on that church. Church is important to God. Jesus brought up the idea of church. He goes, I will build my church. It's, it's God's church. And, and it's important enough to God that God would breathe on it. Fill it with the Holy Spirit. Why, why is it so important? Well, that Greek word for church is actually the word ekklesia. And the Greek word ekklesia means to be called out. The church is the called out. The church is the people of God who've been called out for God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who, catch this, called you out. Called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Harold Songer in the Holman Bible Dictionary states that when the early Christians understood themselves as constituting a church, no doubt exists that they perceived themselves as called out by God in Jesus Christ for a special purpose. In baptism, we celebrate that we're part of the called out community of faith. Church, it's you, it's the people. And sometimes we get that mixed up. We think, you know, that, that, that the church is the building. I'm going to church. No, you are not going to church at Weddington. You are the church at Weddington. This is the campus. This is a sanctuary. That's an education building. That's a family life center. That's a youth center. That's an office building. That's a cemetery. I mean, there's all kinds of that's a, but you're the church. These are just buildings. You are the church, the called out people of God. It's why our mission statement as a church then is to fulfill our call to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. I remember when I came here about 11 and a half years ago, we, we had a meeting to talk about who are we, what is our calling, and we put together our mission statement. And what's interesting is we didn't have to create a mission statement. God had already laid it out. You're called out. You're called out to be the body of Christ. So what's our mission? To fulfill our call out. To be the body of Christ. To be the physical presence of Jesus Christ in our world. And the foundation of the church, the church's one foundation, is Jesus Christ, her Lord. I mean, that's what Peter said, is I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I can build a church on that. I can build a church on that and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And one of the things I've been trying to share with our colleagues, my colleagues and, and, and Episcopal leaders and the Methodist church and, and friends and all those around our world is if the church is struggling today, perhaps the challenge is that we've left our foundation somehow. Because the foundation of the church that the gates of hell can't prevail against is Jesus Christ. I'm always amazed when people tell me one of the reasons I started coming to Weddington is you actually preach Jesus Christ. I'm going, well, what? where have you been going? What else is there to preach other than Jesus Christ? That's the foundation of our church. 
So we're the called out people of God, and we're called out to worship. Worship is a vital part of who we are. When God chose Mary and Joseph to be the parents of Jesus, I think he chose them because he knew they would take the faith seriously. Just read the Gospel of Luke. It's amazing. How many times Luke will tell you, now they did this, and then they did this, and they took Jesus to the temple here. Every year they went to the temple on Passover, and they went to the synagogue, and they did this. I mean, where did they even leave Jesus? They left him at the temple. Because worship was such a vital part of Jesus' life. And, and he regularly worshiped God together. And our scripture tells us in Psalm 95, verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And I need to come to worship. I'll be honest with you. I need worship when I don't have worship. Things are not right for me for some reason. And, and one of the reasons is I need to be reminded of my God. In my car, I have Sirius XM. And, and I have that so I can listen to the news and different things. And, and I've got you know, some pre-programmed things like you know, CNN, the, you know, the BBC, NPR, and Fox, and all of them. Because you know, you if you want to hear what's really happening in the world, you've got to listen to four and then kind of boil it down and go, I wonder what really happened. But what's amazing is, is when you hear what's happening in our world today, it's just so easy to get overwhelmed and it is so easy to get so depressed and brought down by it. And I need to come in here to be reminded of who my God is that's above all of that. I worship because I need to be reminded of my God. And when I come in here and I see the symbols of our faith, I'm reminded of our God. But worship also reminds me of who I am. And I need to be reminded on Sunday morning of who I am so that I won't forget on Monday morning who I am. I need to be reminded on Sunday morning who I am, so that I won't forget on Monday morning who I am. It's one of the reasons the Scripture then says in Hebrews 10, verse 25, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. We, we need to come here and be, be reminded. We're called out to worship. We're called out to be disciples, to grow in our faith. One of the things that concerns me in our world today and, and in the church today, and when I say the church, I'm not simply talking about Weddington and I'm not simply talking about the United Methodist Church. I'm talking about church in general, but I do not exclude the United Methodist Church or Weddington either, but is, is that so many of us now are comfortable with an acquaintance relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of walk with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The church has become comfortable with casual Christianity and surface level faith and surface level Christianity. And the problem of it is, as Jesus said, I call you my friends. I, I, I want to be family with you. And, and we're comfortable being an acquaintance. And the challenging thing is, is that when those rough times come in our lives or those diagnoses come in our lives, those disappointments come in our lives, those marriage issues come in our lives, those family issues, whatever they might be, whatever it is, surface level Christianity will not cut it. It will not cut it. Several years ago when I was president of the Conference of Board of Ordained Ministry, I had to, to give a report and make a presentation before the, the annual conference and I... I used an illustration that, uh, about a beverage that I actually named. 
And, and I was told by a, a little Methodist minister afterwards, you know, you shouldn't talk about that beverage in church. So I won't name the beverage. I'll just say there was a beverage. It was a light beverage that used to advertise that it tastes great, but it's less filling. <laughs> My fear is the church has become church light. It tastes great, but it's become less filling. And the challenge of it is, is we're called by God to be disciples. If I needed to go to a doctor tomorrow and, and have open heart surgery, I would want to know I had someone who was up on the latest, who's cutting edge, who's studied, who's disciplined, who's trained under, who knows what they're doing. If I went to a heart surgeon and they said, all right, think I've got this, you know, I went to medical school years ago, and I mean barely passed by. That last exam, that was a grace thing right there, I'm going to tell you. And I really hadn't kept up with the heart much lately, but I'm pretty sure I can take yours out and put it on a table and put it back in and be all right. How's two o'clock? I don't think I would be very happy about that, would you? I mean, if, if I need that kind of care, I want the latest. I want somebody who's, who's studied it and who's committed and who knows what's happening. And, and I wonder today if, if part of the reason the church may not be as effective in our world as we could be is because the church is ill-equipped to be the people that God has called us to be. Because we did just enough to get by. I have an acquaintance relationship with Jesus Christ, but that's about all I can give you. As a matter of fact, it's been said that, that the church has effectively inoculated the world with a, with a taste of Christianity so that it has become immune to the real thing. Scripture says that in Luke 4, verse 16, that when Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. You know why that's important? Back in Jesus' time, you had the temple, which is where the worship occurred, and the sacrifices were made, and you had the synagogue, and that's where you would come and, and sit at the feet of the elders and others, and you would learn and ask questions and challenge the faith. Jesus went to temple and synagogue. It's like worship and small groups, classes, Bible studies, all the... We need to grow... We're called by God. We're called out. The Scripture goes on in this story that we read in Acts 2 of Pentecost that, that after the crowds were asking what's happening, Peter stood up and he proclaimed Jesus Christ. Some 3,000 people were saved. And in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, and they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with other Christians, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. But they committed. We're going deeper. We want to know more. We want to be who God's called us to be. Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. 
Why? I love Ephesians 4, verse 12. It says, to equip the saints for ministry. To give you the tools that you need to be the people that God has called us to be as the body of Christ. To equip the saints of ministry, he goes on to say, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until all of us have come to unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity and to the measure of the full stature of Christ. I, I worry that the church of Jesus Christ today has has decided to settle with an acquaintance relationship rather than discipleship. To be the people that God has called us to be, you have been called out to be a disciple. And we've been called out to share the love of Christ. I mean, one of the last things that people say before they die is just so important. Ed and I teach our clergy and staff on a regular basis that that being a minister is one of the greatest privileges that you could ever have because we are invited into some of the most intimate moments of people's lives. We're invited to be along with people in times when no one else is invited outside the family. And to be there when someone is, is preparing to die and to hear their last words, it's a sacred thing. They often want you to know that they are ready to go, that they're ready to meet Jesus. But they also want to make sure their family knows to love them. Make sure my family knows I love them. You know what Jesus' last words were as he was ascending into heaven? Tell my family I love them. Now, that's a paraphrase. Because what he said was, and you'll be my witnesses. But witnesses to what? To tell everybody how much I love them. You know, being the witness for Jesus Christ and, and to go out and make disciples, as he said in Matthew 28, was not that Jesus wanted to go. Let me tell you, here's how it worked. Started out in Bethlehem, then they moved to Nazareth. From Nazareth, they went here. From here in Cana, they moved over to Jerusalem. And, you know, and then they started going through all the things. I mean, it's great to know the history and to know the facts, but knowing what happened, that's history. Knowing why it happened, that's theology. And what God wanted to make sure we knew was why. Why? Not only is it important to know that Jesus died, but why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. And God has called on us to share this love of, of Jesus Christ. And, and I challenge you, you know, what, how do we share the love of Christ? To let other people know. There are so many people in our world today that are hurting there are so many people in our world today that are hungry for something to bring them fulfillment. There, there, there's just something missing. We often think, if, if I can get in the larger house, no, that wasn't it. If, it's, if I get in this car, no, that wasn't it. If, if I get in this marriage, no, that wasn't it. We, we try our best to figure out what it is that's missing. People are, are so hungry, and, and we know that Jesus loves them desperately, and, and, and what Jesus is begging, would you please introduce me to them? Would you please let them know how much I love them? Well, we're so worried sometimes when we, we talk about sharing our faith that, that, that we're going to offend somebody. I'm, I'm not asking for us to, to get a six-foot Bible with tassels hanging out of it and, and beat somebody over the head. But, but basically, all that Jesus is asking us to do, would you please just tell them I love them? Please just, just tell them I love them. 
and that I died for them. We're called out by God to make disciples and to share the love of Christ. And we're called out to serve. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are the body of Christ. That physical presence of Jesus Christ in our world today. And, and so when we think about, well, what did Jesus do? Well, when Jesus saw people hurting, he went to them. As a matter of fact, just sometime, just take a commentary or a concordance or Google and, and just say, compassion of Christ, compassion of Jesus, and look at how many scriptures come up where Jesus had compassion, Jesus had compassion, and so he did this. Jesus was filled with compassion, so he did that. Just, just check it out. Colossians 3, verse 12, Paul says, as God's chosen ones, that's us, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And Jesus said when the time comes that he would separate the sheep and the goats, he goes, you know, I'm going to do it. In Matthew 25, he goes, I'll, I'll do it this way. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me, with me. And, and the righteous are going to go, well, Lord, we don't remember that. When in the world? When in the world did we do that for you? And Jesus said, actually, when you've done it to the least of these, you are actually doing it to me. And when you neglected the least of these, you actually neglected me. As the church, we are called out to be that physical presence of Jesus Christ, and, and we're called to serve others. And again, one of my critiques of the established church sometimes, and and I guess, you know, does, is, is the preacher really critical of the church? Well, he works for it. I guess it's okay. But, but one of the challenges is, is that I think sometimes that, that the church has, has got the image that our job is to be a glorified civic organization, and, and that's not who we're called to be. Yes, we're called to do good things for people, but what makes a difference is we do it in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the church the church. That what we do when we reach out to care for those who are hurting and sick and hungry and, and need and whatever it might do, is we're not going for us. We go in the name of and on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who once came and did the same for us. We're called to be the church. Pentecost, it's it's that high holy day. Church, you know the church is really important to God. You know what's amazing is, in spite of all the church's imperfections, God still thinks it's holy, but only by His grace. So over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about this particular church and who God is calling us to be. I mean... The harvest is plentiful. There are so many people around us. And God is calling us out. God is calling us out to be the church. In the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ. But then to make sure we can pull it off, Jesus said, and by the way, one last thing. 
and he poured out his Holy Spirit. God, breathe on us again. Breathe on us again that we might truly be your church. Happy birthday, church. Thank <laughs> you.